Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black. My goal is to get to retirement. When I first started in this industry 25 years ago, my goal was a little bit something different. It was to be the stock market. I had the attitude that I was not a millennial. I was a baby boomer. No, I wasn't. I was Generation X. And I kind of took that identity to heart. And I created the show during that period of time. Generation X were late starters in life. Um, they weren't expected to fail and talking about wall street was not a thing to do in an open manner. It was meant for brokers 25 years ago who charged commissions on buying and selling stocks, like expensive car salespeople. You know, Oh, if you have to know the, we don't put the price on because if you have to know, then you can't afford it. It was kind of a hoity toity place. There's a lot of financial advice out there. One of the industry icons in financial media is a guy named Dave Ramsey. I am not a big Dave Ramsey fan. The way he's crafted his media career is he blends a little bit of religion with a little bit of investing. And he's trying to get a different audience to work with him. But some of his advice, like you should buy a house or a car with cash, seems ludicrous to me. My investment advice in the past, or money advice on this, has been you need to buy a loan that you can afford to pay back. Mortgages are good debt, in my mind, versus credit card debt, which is bad debt. Within reason, I say that student loans are good debt, But you have to get an education that somehow creates a payback window to that investment in education. We get a loan for an investment in education, student loan. So if your kid doesn't take it seriously, it's a problem. Um, financially speaking, the rate of return, the payoff period <clears throat> for a college degree like history or poetry, it's a little bit tougher to justify than science and math. I know you're saying that's harsh, Rob. Eh, It's just my opinion. Socially speaking, I don't know if my kid were going to Stanford and say, I want to become an English major. I'd be like, Oh yes, he can write a great email, but Stanford offers so much more for the student population. And I don't know how great a... Eh, I'll be quiet. So Dave Ramsey is someone I can you know, study a little bit of and say, here's what I like and I don't like. 
paying for college and cars with cash. I most agree with the car thing. Taking out a loan at, you know, six, seven, eight percent on a car, it's a depreciation asset. And the only reason I'm agreeing that it's a bad idea is a lot of people use that monthly payment as a way to justify getting a car they shouldn't be in. When I see someone who looks like me driving a way cheaper car, I admire them. It's a really weird thing to say, isn't it? But when I see a 50-year-old man driving like a, I don't even know cars, so I got to be careful. And I say like a Yugo, like one of those Eastern European cars that look like they're made out of paper mache and don't get into a car accident because you will die. I go, that guy's got a much lower car bill than I do. And you only have so much money at the end of every week, at the end of every month. And I think the car payment should be one of the ones that you don't splurge on until you're wealthy. So another piece of advice that I'm not all that much of a big fan on Dave Ramsey is he's, he, he talks a lot about ETFs versus mutual funds. He tends to recommend mutual funds over ETFs. And I don't really know why he's done this. He thinks mutual funds are designed to be invested in over the longer term. It's possible to outperform the market by selecting the right mutual funds. And ETFs come in the costs. And while the fees are usually lower than mutual funds, ETFs don't offer professional management that mutual funds do. <clears throat> That's his rationale. And I think my personal x-ray vision of why he doesn't like ETFs is because he can't figure out a way to make money on them. He can sell you mutual funds that are loaded, and the mutual fund company can pay him back. ETFs can also be invested for the long term. While you have an option of trading them like stocks, you do not have to keep them in your portfolio for decades. Um, I own some ETFs. They're lower cost than mutual funds usually. Um, an ETF is an exchange traded fund, and it's very, very similar to a mutual fund. But they try to wring all the costs out of them. Two of the things that you can really control in investing is your ability to have time in the market and the cost of the fund, <clears throat> the cost of the business relationship. The more you keep costs down can be a good thing if you're in good, successful products. So I'm trying to think of a, like, can I relate this to like a real estate agent? No, I, I don't see that. I don't see his fight there. Um, ETFs can get a little bit like spectacular and maybe that's what he's going after. Like you can get an ETF that's all about the marijuana industry inside of the healthcare industry. There's growth ETFs, there's dividend ETFs. So I guess if we're giving you the listener, no credit at all. Yeah. There's some things in, in mutual funds and ETFs that you really got to know what you're doing. Um, Dave uses a 12% rate of return. He thinks it's possible to earn a 12% annual average return on investments, but if you listen to his advice, you're very likely to have a major shortfall when it comes time to retire. His 12% reality is based on a simple average returns of the S&P 500, which he reports as 11.64% from 1928 to 2020. The problem is it's simple average returns are not the most accurate way of using data. So you got to be very careful. 
if you invested $5,000 and your investment went up 20% the first year and down 20% the next year, your simple average return is 0%, but you don't actually end up with 5,000 at the end of year two. Your 20% gain would have left you with 6,000. And when you lose 20%, you're down 1,200, which takes you to 4,800. So it's not a 0% return. It is a negative 4% return. He should know a little bit better about math, in my opinion. And his relationship with paying off debt before he retired just isn't for me. I get it, but it's an oversimplification that doesn't work for most people's life. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black on the Bay Area radio waves. That would be on AM 1220 KDOW, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Or on radio.com, smart speakers, and the KDOW radio app. Now back to New Focus on Wealth on AM 1220 KDOW. So it's not the easiest thing to talk about when you blend politics into investments. When I moved to California many years ago, 25 years ago, there became a clash in my head on what sort of media can I now talk about and not talk about in this community. Growing up in overseas markets and then finishing in the on the East Coast, shuttling up and down the East Coast, one of the things you kind of start to learn, um, for true or falser, that California's got earthquakes, they're crazy, and we refer to Californians as like wackadoodles. Then you get here and you're like, yeah, plastic bags do suck. <clears throat> we don't need them. So you kind of start appreciating what becomes the culture-setting norm for the United States. Um, I remember when we first started charging for bags, people freaked out. On the East Coast. Like, I'm never moving to California because you got to pay five cents for a bag. And yeah, it's gotten ridiculous. 25 cents or what have you. Whoa. But many people have also started changing their bag usage habits. Now, this changed around COVID where they're like, well, we're not allowed to touch your bag, so we'll give away plastic bags for free again. But it is important to see that, you know, local politics plays a role, but also national politics. California has done it again. Uber and Lyft stocks are falling as California Prop 22 ruled unconstitutional. Ugh. This is where I started getting frustrated about the politics. Why did they go through the, the proposition project? Why does a judge get to overrule the people? <clears throat> Was it not strong enough? Was there a loophole? Was there a mistake? I'm not politically very savvy. Shares of Uber and Lyft are falling today as a California judge has struck down a law allowing the companies to classify drivers as contractors rather than employees. Mm. Very interesting right there. So California went through the whole process of a proposition and we saw the commercials and they kind of boiled down to, well, a contractor can work whenever he wants. It could be a soccer mom. It can be a dad, full-time dad, full-time tech worker on the weekend, picking up a little extra bucks, not forced to work nine to five. 
but the difference between contractor and employee is a lot. Our country has moved more towards as many contractors as we can have because corporations are trying to save money. In television, I'm considered a contractor. In radio, I'm considered an employee. I don't know which company is more right. Um, do you? I certainly don't. And as an employee, I, I get access to more health care. I get access to more corporate benefits. <clears throat> and that costs money. So this is a big situation for Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, and other app-based companies. They've pumped over $200 million into supporting Prop 22, which made their businesses exempt from treating drivers as employees. It was passed by 58% of California voters backing the proposition. And along comes a judge. <clears throat> and he rules that Prop 22 breaks the state constitution by unfairly hampering the power of legit legislature. When it comes to workers' compensation and collective bargaining, it comes after a group of drivers and labor unions challenge the ballot measure. Um, I think that's one of the more frustrating and maybe even more beautiful parts of the legal system in the United States is that it's considered art versus science at times. So it could change over time. And I'm not going to use Roe v. Wade as an example. But I think that's the one that it's so polarizing, you almost got to go to it. Where, how can that be overturned? I thought that was a law. How can one day it be legal and one day it be illegal? Same thing just happened with Uber and Lyft, where Uber and Lyft thought one day the rules were this. Now they're being told the rules are that. I think that since the proposition passed with overwhelming majority in the 2020 vote, provided a basis for the companies to win the appeals process. But sometimes you're going to look at an Uber and Lyft and say, "Oh, they're a, you know they're a gig economy company," but they're also a company with a lot of lawyers because they have to defend that positioning. Now, does the gig economy, and this brings up a big bag of worms. Does that allow for the exploiting people who aren't able to figure, you know, true costing of time and resources? They don't get the same rights as they could if they figured a higher value on their uh, work proposition relationship. It's a big deal for insurance, medical retirement, social security maintenance, depreciation. So when you have a 401k and it's administered by a company... There's some cost to that. It's not free for them to use. And if you've ever done like a 401k loan, there's usually another human being on the other side of that. So there's a cost. There's a relationship cost. Um, but this whole gig economy, contractor versus employee, um, I've got a friend who's an attorney. And when he's done working from nine to five at his law firm, He's in San Francisco, and one of the things he does is he drives for Uber. He knows that going over the Bay Bridge is an hour and a half slog, so he waits for the traffic to die down for it to become a 20-minute slog, so he drives for an hour or two, picks up a little bit of money, meets some interesting people, probably solicits for business, right? Can you imagine if your <laughs> Lyft driver was at a... 
uh, was an ambulance chaser and he gets into a car crash. No. But sometimes when we talk about the gig economy and workers and um, one of the things we default to is big words like slavery. And we compare like any bad person in the world, we throw down the Hitler. And any work situation that gets exploited, whether it be a minor infraction or a big one, sometimes we drop phrases like slavery. And that politically charges the conversation. So in the long run, do I think Uber and Lyft and DoorDash can figure out a business model with employees? I do. Do I think they can figure out a a business with excuse me, contractors? I do. And that's kind of the fight there. Um, As an investor, do you want to take on that risk? Do you want to take on that complicated situation, that media shaming? This company runs like a slave operation. And you know the images you come up with when I say the word slave. It's not attractive. So... That's out there. I I bring it up because I think successful companies are always going to draw some issues that are not simple. You could look at Amazon and their factories, and you've heard stories about employees peeing in bottles because they don't get bathroom breaks. I I will say that would be pretty Ah. disgusting. If I got a package and I was expecting an HDMI cable and I open it up and ooh, there's a jar of pee in there. I'd be a little bit upset. <laughs> like I'm gagging on that. Thinking of someone's warm urine traveling across the country in a box. Say what? So just know that I started this segment very innocently talking about Prop 22 and how a judge ruled it unconstitutional. And now that legally opens up a lot of questions about what these companies can make and not make, what the companies can offer and not offer, and the costs that come with those things. You kind of have to go into that territory of uncomfortable. When you own a stock, you have to know the worst case examples and feel comfortable with them. I don't own Uber or Lyft. I've got plenty of stocks. I've got plenty of ETFs in my portfolio. I've got more than enough mutual funds. I do not need more. I will watch Uber and Lyft from a distance. I'm sure they're in a tech fund that I might have or an S&P 500 fund, but it's more headline-driven stories like this that make people crazy. But long-term, do I think Uber and Lyft will figure it out? I do. It might push the mergers and acquisitions a little bit sooner on the companies that were not prepared for worst-case scenarios. Microsoft did something very interesting last week, and... It really reflects a great understanding, a great tip for you on investing. We all know inflation's bad because the simplest way of putting it, rent has gone from $1,000 a month 25 years ago to $4,000 a month today. And you're like, whoa, my salary hasn't gone up that much percentage-wise. So that's when inflation can be really bad. But Microsoft said that they're raising their prices on Office 365. And you know how I told you employers give you things like Outlook? That's not free. That's typically about $4 a month to the cost to that organization. And now it's being increased to 6 That doesn't sound like a lot. It's a 50%. Oh, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of do-re-me, if you ask me. 
Um, so generally speaking, Microsoft Office 365 prices for corporations will go up between 9 and 25%. Because there's a lot of different tiers. But Wall Street loves a little bit of inflation on cost of goods. So it can equal a lot of money for a company like Microsoft that has millions and 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 millions. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. This is New Focus on Wealth on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I try to use a lot of the headlines to formulate the show. Try to make it infotaining. I try not to come across as preachy. Um, I think we all change over time. I think I've become softer in my approach. I think you're entitled to do what you're going to do. Um, so my thoughts on Bitcoin are very similar to Mark Cuban's. If you want a position of 1% to 5% in your portfolio, that's fine. But once you start getting above that, and I'm not speaking for Mark Cuban here, but that's when you start taking on some additional risks. And I don't know if people realize how they can level up their intensity. And when I say intensity, the kind of exponential factors of earthquakes, the first time you ever heard like, oh, a 4.0 feels like this, but a 6.1 versus a 6.2, it starts getting magnificently bigger. So a 4 to 4.5, not all that crazy, but a 6.1 to 6.2, and you're like, that's only one point difference. The other one's five point difference. A little bit more noticeable in the sixes. It's exponentially heavier. I don't want you to do that with mistakes and with risk in your portfolio. Headline that doesn't surprise me. The female executives in Europe of the top 100 executive directors, they're paid 40% less than men. As an investor and as a storyteller on financial media, that drives me crazy. Why? Because then I have to give different investment advice for women versus men. And I think there's some truth to that. And the easy example, easiest example is my father and my mother. My father was the breadwinner. My mom raised six kids. My dad's financial education, he did everything. My mom did almost nothing. My dad's relationship with my mother was, I would say, unhealthy, financially speaking, because he gave her an allowance to raise the children. That sounds offensive to me. Now, (laughs) I think he gave himself a better allowance for alcohol than he gave my mother for food for the kids. That's That's what I'm talking about, where it gets unhealthy. And my mom outlived my dad. That's the point of this. So when you see executives in Europe, European women, getting 40% less than their male counterparts, high-end executives, you're like, oh, what's going on here? The one for me is the longevity of the health issue where my mom outlived my dad by 20-plus years. There's so many things that's messed up. You know, I told you I didn't really appreciate my father's financial approach with my mother. He bought more life insurance on him than he did on her than he did on himself. He was convinced that, because she was chubby, because she had six kids, um, there was a seventh along the way. They didn't quite develop and didn't make it. 
Um, my mom was pregnant for over six years of over five years of her life. That is freaking outrageous to me. Um, and I don't think he paid her well. And it's weird to think that, you know, she was on a, I don't know. I don't want to get too much into it, but my mom, I loved him. That's the point of the story. She needed more money than he did. Um, in life insurance, he underweighted his value and he overweighted hers and he was wrong. So he made a big financial assumption mistake there, in my opinion. Now, my mom needed health care. My father died at home. Well, he didn't die at home, but he actually died at the ICU, but he was mostly at home. My mother went into a nursing home probably for the last four years of her life, roughly. I don't think I described it to you many times on the air that it sucked. When you think of an old folks home, you're like, ah, my mom and dad are going to be in such good hands. And they're going to have friends and they're going to, no, no, they give you like a teeny tiny little room and some never leave their room. Some just sit in their room and it's kind of, I'll tell you what, when I dropped my mom off, took her to lunch, it wasn't lost on me that it felt like a prison. You had to check into the facility. I'd check out of the facility. There was security involved there. Um, but her cost ended up being much longer to live on this planet than my father's. My dad never really dipped into his retirement because he worked till he died. That's a weird thing. I've never said that all out. He never dipped into his retirement. Now, he had enough that my mom didn't suffer. But financially, she would have become a strain on the family in another three or four years of living in a nursing home. $100,000 a year in costs. Some of that is health care. And you're like, I understand but it's still, you're like, dang, mom, you're expensive. And then you look at the food she's eating, and you're like, that wasn't that. This doesn't feel like a five-star resort. So when I see stories that executive, female executives are making 40% less than their male counterparts, it does kind of infuriate me. Because I've seen that women do live longer than men. And men, cliche or not, marry a few years younger. So I think healthcare issues are more for women than men. Just at the starting point in my head, I know that's a flawed thought. There's a lot of widowers and widowies out there, and I really shouldn't just you know lump some in and say it's just a woman because it's a male issue too. But I can tell you my approach is that I expect my wife to outlive me, A, because she's a better person than me. She's sweeter, she's nicer, she's kinder, and I think that has to take a toll on you know, your heart getting better off than someone who's wicked and evil and mean like me. I've got the Grinch's heart. And when you have a heart that grows four times too big at Christmas, it tends to explode and you have a heart attack. <laughs> Interesting stat of the day for you. Fast food wages climbed 10% in the latest quarter versus a year ago. Uh, wow. Sounds like a good career. Get in a 10% raise year over year. Yeah, that's good, right? I'm Rob Black. Find me on robblackshow.com.